Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to San Francisco Ballet and the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House on this Thursday, February 16th. It is the opening night of Program 3, so I'm very excited to have you here with us uh, to learn a little bit more about the program before you see it. My name is Allison Groves. I am the Development and Campaign Operations Manager at San Francisco Ballet, and tonight I will also be your host. The Meet the Artist series is a production of the Ballet's Center for Dance Education, and you can always hear lectures that you might have missed by going online to sfballet.org, and you can also read some blogs by our dancers and artistic staff. Now today, I have with me soloist Dana Genshaft, who is going to be performing tonight, in fact, um, as well as over the next couple of weeks. Before I start asking Dana questions, let me tell you a little bit about her. First of all, she was born in Russia, and she ended up here in the U.S. She studied at the Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C., the School of American Ballet in New York, and at the Paris Opera Ballet School. She joined the ballet in 2000 as an apprentice, and the following year became a member of the Corps de Ballet, and ultimately was promoted to soloist in 2008. So she's been around for a while and probably looks familiar to you. You might have seen her recently as Olga, the sister in Onyegin. She's also been the Sugar Plum Fairy, among other roles, in Nutcracker, and um, is dancing in McGregor's Chroma, which is on program two. She's been in um, Yuri Posikov's piece, Diving into the Lilacs, and she created roles in Val Canaparoli's Ibsen's House and in Mark Morris's Joyride. Welcome, Dana. Hi, everyone. So, Dana, I mentioned that you were born in Russia. I know you speak Russian, and I've heard you translating for some of the dancers before. Um, Dana Genshaft, it just doesn't sound very Russian. Tell us a little bit about your past. Well, I am Russian, it's true. I think Genshaft is of German descent, and Dana was originally supposed to be David, but that didn't happen, <laughs> thankfully. So my parents were, uh, I don't know, into Madonna maybe at the time, so they thought, hmm, Donna, that sounds great. So I became Donna, which eventually became Dana when we immigrated to the States. So I'm Dana. We're glad to have you as Dana instead of David. <laughs> uh, so you've trained in three different schools, Kirov Academy, which is in D.C., but I assume has sort of a Russian influence, mm -hmm. and also in New York, where I think they focus on a lot of Balanchine, mm -hmm. and at Paris Opera Ballet School. And I'm wondering what the different kind of training is. Is it all the same, or does each place have its own slant? Uh, each place has its own slant, I would say its own curriculum, steps by which they prepare the young dancer. And um, Actually, I started out in New York where my family is, lives at School of American Ballet, and I was so fortunate to get on as a child in the Nutcracker and do all the performances. It was wonderful. But by the time I was 12, I sort of lost interest and my mom urged me, why don't you just try a summer program in the Russian school? We're Russian. Maybe something will click. <laughs> so I did. And 
I ended up moving abroad, well, away from my parents when I was 12. And something did click. And within four years, I was basically a made dancer. I was, became quite advanced by the time I was 15. And um, actually met Vanessa Zahorian there, who was two or three years older than me. A couple of my uh, co-workers here who I've known from childhood. So, um, and at 15, I was very bold and daring and decided, well, now I have to travel internationally to study and see what else I can learn. And I basically put together a little resume, and my parents didn't even know about it. (laughs) And uh, I kind of surprised them. Oh, guess what? I got into the Paris Opera. They're like, what? (laughs) When and why? But uh, that was challenging to move because of the curriculum. And I I learned that once I went there, it's not really a good idea to cut off your training at 15 and start in a completely new place. But it ended up working out. So, What about Paris was different? Do they use a different technique, or is it just more or less regimented than what you were experiencing in the U.S.? No, it was of the same caliber of difficulty. It was just... um, I was looking for what I would, the reason I went there was to polish off my footwork and I just felt like I needed to gain speed and basically just um, take my technique up a notch. And um, what ended up happening is I just sort of backtracked a little bit. I was learning things in a slightly different way that I had already learned and I wasn't really moving forward. It's fine. It was an amazing experience, and that's really what matters. Because in this profession, you learn. You still, you know, I'm almost 30, and you're still learning every day. So it was great. And so did you apply to become an apprentice here, or did our artistic director, Helgi Thomason, see you dancing and invite you to come? I applied. I basically, uh, I heard my friend Vanessa was here doing very well. (laughs) Decided to follow her, and... I've heard amazing things about this company, and uh, I came here, and I watched Juan Wanton do Giselle, and I watched a program or two, and I just fell in love with the rep and really wanted to be here, and I auditioned, and thankfully it worked out. Well, then you've certainly had a wide variety of repertories since you arrived here in 2000, and I mentioned that you will be dancing tonight in Ratmansky's Le Carnaval des Animaux. You're also in Helgi Thomason's trio, not tonight, but um, on some other nights. So I thought perhaps we could tell the audience a little bit about these pieces. Um, maybe we should start with the Ratmansky piece, because that hasn't been performed here since 2004. So it's probably new to some people here tonight. And he arrived in 2003 to set it on the company. And you didn't participate in it at that point. It's brand new for you this time. I was crying about that, yeah. So you knew even back then this was a piece you wanted to be Um, in? Absolutely. I came and watched every performance and laughed every time. And what was so remarkable for me is seeing how incredible the choreography is if you take away the light comedic aspect of it which apparently he never asked for you know he wants you to really play your character 
if you're a kangaroo, you need to be 100% kangaroo, not trying to be a funny version of a kangaroo. I think I might have lost an earring. I'll look for it later. So I just, I liked all the layers of it, and it's crafted so well. It's an amazing ballet. It's, uh, it looks light, but it's so well put together. I just fell in love with it. And when it came back around, I, I basically hinted and sort of begged that I'll do any cast, any part, any time. And so here I am. <laughs> so who did you have to beg for this? Did Rodmansky come back, no. or was it a ballet master? Or it was a Elgin? ballet master, and, um, you know, you don't really flat out and say it. You just kind of say, oh, wow, I just really love this ballet. And you hope they, you hope they get it. <laughs> so you are a kangaroo tonight, yeah. and uh, the costumes, for those of you who haven't seen this, the costumes are fantastic in this. They're by Sandra Woodall. They're whimsical, and they might, I thought, as an audience member, be a bit ungainly for dancing. Um, you know, you've got this tail on your jacket that, I think might reach up and hit you in the back sometimes. Yeah, Sandra, she's amazing, really. There's never been a costume she's made that hasn't absolutely felt organic on your body. It's always light. It's always beautiful. Um, so actually, no. Wow. I mean, I can feel the tail in the back, but I'm not hindered by it. So when did you start rehearsing with the costumes on? I think it was either orchestra or one rehearsal before that. Oh, okay. So you don't get too many chances to make sure that... It's fine. It's for this good. one, it's okay. It's actually just a leotard for everybody. And then you have a little tiny little skirt, and then you have a bunch of little things that... Accessories that you take on and off, and you're running off stage. And it's actually a lot of costume changes, but the actual costumes are quite comfortable. Now, I was wondering in a piece like this where you've actually watched some of your friends create the character, what's it like to step in to something that's already been created by someone you know? Is it, is it easier because it's been done, or is it harder because you feel like you're in someone else's shoes, or kangaroo feet in this case? Well, it can be, it can be difficult, I suppose, but I think it's more, um, it's more that you have to recognize that no matter whether you're first cast or second cast or third cast, it always in the end has to be you that has to be seen. You're not trying to be somebody else. It's never going to be good if you try and copy somebody. And it's always going to be effective if you can bring out the most you can in a role. So, but with that said, you can always learn from somebody else. In fact, you should, you know, see what works, what doesn't work, and... We have a very good relationship with our coworkers here, so. And, and so, do you compare notes after rehearsals? Sometimes, sometimes, if you're with your friend, yeah, you're like, "How do you do that? That works so well on you." And 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 it can happen that they can say to you as well, "Well, it's this or that." And by the way, you do that really awesome. What's your trick? Sometimes people have little tricks, and it can work differently or better. So yeah. Well, the other role that you're playing tonight, well, not tonight, but in program two, is in trio. And um, Helgi created this piece last year. It's, it's three movements. You're in the middle movement. 
it's it's the dark part of the ballet, the haunting yes. trio where I think death might be involved. There's not there's not really a plot, and I'm wondering. No. This is a real character. This isn't, you know, a kangaroo. It's it's kind of the antithesis of that, and you have to be dramatic. And I, yeah. I'm wondering when you're working on this. Did Helgi mention any sort of plot or emotions, or was it really just about learning the movement and putting your own feelings onto it? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. It's wonderful when Helgi actually demonstrates. He can demonstrate the female role, the male role. He's amazing. And he'll tell you, you know, how he sees it, um, but then it's up to you to create a little story. He did say um, that this ballet, it almost feels like three or four different ballets put together. Three three movements, right? All put together. Each one's very different. So ours, yeah, it does feel more of like it has this love plot and she's being separated by this uh, energy that's pulling her towards death, really. I think it's supposed to be. She's going to be separated from the world and uh, it's really beautiful and if you've ever been separated from someone you really love, it's really easy to get into it, especially if you're dancing with handsome partner like Ruben. <laughs> so. For those of you who are just joining us, our guest tonight is soloist Dana Genshaft. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about working with Helgi. He's not just a choreographer. He is the artistic director here. And I'm wondering if that makes it a little bit different in working with him than, say, Rodmansky or Mark Morris coming in here. It's really wonderful to work with Helgi as a choreographer because you have um, a closer contact relationship than normal. And this is my first time being in that type of role with him. So I was nervous, or just as nervous as I am working with any choreographer. Um, but it's been a wonderful experience. He's, he's very patient. He's, he's very expressive. He has a great sense of humor. Um, he's very mellow, and it's just wonderful. Yeah. One of the things I was wondering about Trio um, and all of his pieces, or Yuri's pieces for that matter. You know, I know when a choreographer comes in and sets a piece, he or creates a piece on the company, the next time it's performed, the following year, generally there's a ballet master who teaches it. And in the case of, of Helgi or Yuri Posikov, well, they're both here all the time. And I'm wondering, do they just let a ballet master then teach you the piece, or did they come in and fine-tune it? Because they're here, so they could do whatever they want, I guess. Yeah, they definitely, they let it be set. They let it, you know, let it, the dancers learn it and remember it. And then they come in and see it with fresh eyes a year later. And Yeah. And so is Trio exactly the same this year as it was last year? Or did Helgi, I mean, it got great reviews, so he didn't need to do anything to it. But uh, it's a beautiful piece, but I always wonder if, if he changes his mind about something. Um, I didn't feel like he changed his mind, at least not with my part, too much. Um, just bring, he always says more. That's the one thing I always hear, more. Just bring out more of what, of the feeling that the part's supposed to convey and 
some notes of musicality and um, yeah, things like that. All right. So you know, we were talking about how you've done this dramatic piece. You played a kangaroo. You're also in chroma, which is incredibly modern and totally different vocabulary. Do you have a different approach, either mentally or physically, for you know? you're doing a dramatic role like in Onyegin or you're doing something that's like chroma and just crazy and modern. Yeah, you have to be a bit of a chameleon and I just like to close my eyes and get into the essence of what I'm going to be feeling and and then that's how I sort of get ready for the show. I just put myself in the state of mind and with chroma, even though there's not much of a story, she's my part's pretty charged, and it's uh, quite abrasive And with my partner. It's not all smooth and loving and soft and tender. It's quite the opposite. Usually she's trying to either get away from him or get him off of her or get in front of him or just be done with him or something like that. So, you know, you have to be this, like, powerful, raw person. <laughs> so it's different, for sure. Are some things more challenging than others for you? Um, for instance, Chroma, which I highly recommend if you all haven't seen it, um, that's a really different vocabulary. Does that come naturally to you to move in those ways, or do you find that a little more challenging? than? I actually, something? I do find it uh, more natural for me for some reason. I don't really know why. It's You, know, you, you don't really study to learn how to break your body that way or how to move that way. It's something that once you're done with your training, someone throws it at you and you sort of have to forget everything you've ever learned. And then uh, they just look at you and they go, just pretend like you're coming out of your skin. <laughs> and you're like, got it, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So we have someone asking, what do they mean when they say bring out the musicality? Well, everybody hears music in a very different way. And um, the choreographer sometimes will have a very specific way that they hear it. So they hear the rhythm, or maybe they hear more melody, or maybe they hear just a note. And sometimes they're very specific about how they want you to finish the movement or how they want you to... Um, articulate it. Um, and some choreographers, they just let you do, express how you feel it should be. So it's basically, musicality is how you express the music. Yeah, how the dance is being expressed through the music. Or the music is being expressed through the dance, rather. Sorry, yeah. So do you have any other roles that you're really looking forward to over the rest of the season? Um, looking forward to Divertimento. That's another, it's very classical balancing, so that'd be a nice little thing to add to my kangaroo and chroma and dark dead woman. No. <laughs> and um, looking forward to glass pieces. That's an amazing ballet that's been done over and over and over again. And I get to learn the pas de deux, which is, I'm so excited about. Um, there's Ashley Page, 
new work by Ashley Page, which is brilliant. I'm very excited for that. So uh, it's hard to really remember all of them. They're all exciting, as long as I get to dance them. (laughs) So we'll see. Well, before we move on to questions from the audience, I do have one other question about another role that you have in your life offstage. Not too long after you joined the company, you became a mother, and I am wondering how you juggle the really crazy time and energy that you have to put on stage and in rehearsals with being a mother. I don't know how I do it, actually, (laughs) but I do it. I think all the mothers and fathers here know what a challenge that is to balance being a parent where you just want to spend 150% of your time with them and then also have to go to work. I have a, you know, my job is very different. Um, And I just try and involve her as much as I can, bring her around, take her to the shows, take her to the performances and rehearsals. And she's just so spoiled in that respect now. She's just like, oh, I don't want to see the rehearsal. I'd rather go get cookies and milk and sit in the audience. I don't want to see you sweat, you know. (laughs) She's just so spoiled now with that. But, um... I'm, I'm very blessed. Is she thinking about becoming a ballet dancer? No, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, Mommy, have you looked at your feet lately? <laughs> <laughs> so she plays the piano, and she is an actress, actually. So, you know, she's very funny and theatrical, and she gets to do a lot of little plays in her school. So I think definitely has an artistic edge to her. Well, I do want to spend a few minutes um, asking the audience for any questions. I will repeat the questions so that everyone in the audience can hear. So if you'll keep your questions brief so I can remember them long enough to repeat them, I would appreciate it. Yes. Uh, Moscow. So the question is, where where did she study since she was so busy learning how to dance around the world? That's a very good question. I, at the time, was trying to finish high school. Um, I'm not even sure how to call it, where you ma- they mail it to you, and you do it, and then you mail it back. Correspondence, thank you. And when we were in Paris, when I was in Paris, they put me in second grade. So I was in the second grade with all the little kids doing my high school in the back. And the teacher would call on me, and I would have to answer the second grade stuff in French. So it was a little, it was a little challenging and different. There was a lot of things that didn't quite work and mesh, which was what I was saying earlier about not being that great of an idea. I also realized I missed home a lot, you know, so... I graduated from high school, yeah, and uh, finished half of my BA um, while being in the company here. So, you know, slowly but surely, kind of do it all. (laughs) Any other questions? Yes.
She's asking about the costumes from Little Mermaid and how long they were, and it looks like it would be really easy to trip over them. Well, I didn't have to dance any of the mermaid parts, but I got to witness our amazing dancers taking it on. And, you know, they slipped once in a while, but um, just like anything else, I, it seems like they really knew where every time where the skirt was. It was really a part of them. Before they took a step, they would take it out of the way, or they knew how to be with the skirt. So it wasn't like an accident. You know, it was all so rehearsed so many times that they were really, I feel from watching them, that they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, I think they were pants, actually. I, yeah, really I think they were pants. very wide pants. Yeah, and they were literally dancing on their pants. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Maybe you'll get to try next maybe, time. <laughs> maybe I'll get to try one day. <laughs> now, I think I saw a question right back here. What do you do after a performance trying to take care of your body? Well, if you have time after a show, you stretch a little bit. Um, on the day off, you get some work done, either acupuncture or massage or chiropractor, or sometimes you go steam. Or It's not so bad. <laughs> Oh, they're fine. My feet are fine. <laughs> Dancers' feet are notoriously ugly, I guess I would say. But everyone seems to wear sandals around the building, and they look fine to me. We're all used to it, you know. It's okay. Any other questions? Yes, over here. What type of diet? Oh, boy. Um, I eat... Basically, when we're working a lot, you just eat when you can and whatever you can because you need to feed your body, you need to recover, your muscles need to recover. If you're not working so much, you know, you eat more salads and sand, you know, than big pasta dishes with pizza and ice cream afterwards. I mean, just normal stuff. We're dancing so much, it's not as big of an issue. So it's pretty normal. I don't smoke. No. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no. That might have been in the 70s or something, or the 80s. Yeah, he, he was asking if more than half of the company smoked. I think over the past 10 years, it's been less and less yeah, people. thankfully, yeah. And we do have a dancer wellness center in the building, so there are doctors around, there's all kinds of equipment, so the opportunity to be healthy and, and stay well is always there. Yeah, we're really, we're really lucky. We get taken care of really well. So, um, I think I have time for one last question for Dana. Yes. He's asking about the rehearsal schedule because um, this company tends to learn all of the pieces over the summer and then return to rehearsing them right before they go up on stage. Right. We usually try and learn the piece, not only learn it, but almost get it to a performance level where um, by the time a piece is done, you really have it in your body. And then when you bring it back a few months later, it's not so difficult 
it's quite, you know, it's easy to do. It's a different story if there's someone who got injured or, if, you know, sometimes things happen and you have to learn something very quickly. But uh, generally speaking, learning it that many months in advance, it's not, it's not too much of a challenge. Is that fairly normal for companies that have a mixed repertory season like the ballet has? I, I actually, I don't know. I think it has something, for us, something to do with when we can get the theater. Uh, we can only get it from now until the end of May. So we have to squeeze all our performances in, you know, as much as we can. Well, Dana, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. You probably have to make yourself get ready to look like a kangaroo. So we'll let you go, and the audience will get to see you tonight. Thank you. Thank you.